Welcome to America's Top Rebbitons. May this class be for Rafur Shalema for Elisheva Panina Bat Emuna. I'm so happy to have on today's show Rebbitton Hannah Goldstein. Rebbitton Hannah is a Rebbitton in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much for being here. I know that you have taught classes to many women about positive attributes and how to develop them. This is such a rich topic and it's such an important topic to our growth as people. And I'm very, very excited to talk about this today. As I understand, there are six attributes that you focus on. Ambition, courage, confidence, self-esteem, resilience, and determination. All these attributes can be found in the Torah, and I want to talk about them one at a time. So let's start with ambition. What exactly is ambition? Where can this attribute be found in the Torah? And how can we cultivate ambition within ourselves? Whoa, huge question. Yeah. Um, okay, so firstly, I have to say that I'm super excited to be here. I'm also very excited that I got classes like a top Robertson. That's like, <laughs> rock on, you know? Um, so I, I'm, I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a crazy time of the morning right now. Um, and just about to start my day. So this is a great way to start my day. So let's, I, I wanted to take a little bit of a step back first. Um, and then we'll kind of step into some of these like specific attitudes that I really love talking about. Right. Okay, so let's understand what, what is an attitude. Most of the time, if you say to someone, oh, she has an attitude. Oh my gosh, that girl has such an attitude, right? It essentially means that like it's a bad attitude, yes. right? Whereas really having an attitude doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that there are plenty of phenomenal and incredible attitudes that, that we can have and express and use in this world. Um, and so those are really the things that we're going to focus on today. And we're going to look at a few of the different species of attitude that I have that, that I like to kind of look at and apply in my own life. Attitudes play out in a certain way, though. Having an attitude is not having a feeling about something. That's different, okay? I can be happy, sad, confident. Sometimes it's called a feeling, right? And sometimes we express it as a feeling. I feel confident. I'm not talking about that. What I want to focus on is input, output, and this thing that happens in the middle. So imagine like your world is almost like a factory, you know? The trucks drive, drive up with the raw materials, they get unloaded, and then they get put into this really cool machine. When I was a kid, there was this really cute little kids TV show where there was like this crazy machine and every little person in the TV show had like jobs to do with the machine. There was someone who pressed the buttons and someone who turned the knobs and, you know, so I want you to imagine this incredible, crazy machine. Okay. That is your attitude machine. So your raw materials come in and then it gets processed by your attitude machine. And then you have the outputs. The outputs can be feelings, can be things that you've achieved, right? But an attitude is essentially the way that you process your world. How do you process your inputs? It, originally, when I taught this set of classes, the first, when I first wrote this kind of set of classes about attitude, it was during Black, it was during the Occupy movement. And I don't know whether people remember now, but like 10 years ago, a whole group of people decided it would be fun to go sit, uh, sit in Wall Street, sit literally outside Wall Street and chant, we are the 99%. And as much as I, 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 I hear their sentiments, um, most of them were not 
the 99%. Most of them were the 1% of the most privileged people in the, on the planet. Just as women being born in North America, we are unbelievably privileged. We do not have to walk eight hours for water. We have the right to education. We can drive our car. You know, we, we are incredibly empowered. And so the idea that you can have this attitude of, of being disenfranchised when we really are so privileged was a little disturbing to me. So a lot of this class came out of looking at people whose inputs, whose raw materials are, are, are representative of, of abject poverty or real oppression um, of circumstances which we as women in North America can't, can't even imagine. Looking at those women and looking at the attitudes that they have to life, the resilience, the determination, the confidence that they approach things and seeing these incredible outputs. And a great example came up recently um, on, on one of the news websites. And we all know what's happening in Afghanistan right now, particularly to women. And um, it was a story about a group of women who started a school, uh, a high school. They started a high school, big deal, huge deal, right? The idea that they had the confidence, resilience, determination, attitude, ambition to do that in their circumstances shows that with, with the horrific raw materials, which is really the only way that you can describe Afghanistan right now, horrific raw materials, this attitude machine can create incredible things. Okay, so that was like the pre-answer to your question. Okay, that's yes. a pre-answer. Now, now I'm gonna give you the answer. I'm also, by the way, my day job, my day job and the way that I earn my money now is being a lawyer. So we like to, you know, like we like to give you more than your money's worth. You know, it's like, I'll give no, you we a love <laughs> and I'll give you an answer. Okay. So you asked me about ambition. Is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you not think that ambition has got like such a bad rap nowadays? It does. Yes. It can be, it can have a negative connotation. Right. If I were to say, oh my gosh, that girl has got such ambition. Yes. Sometimes there's a little bit of a like, you know, a, a little bit of like a, a negativity associated with that. Oh, she's very, she's very ambitious. Yes. Right. If you were to see that on a shitter resume, on like a dating resume, on like a dating website, and it were to say, um, kind of goal scene is very ambitious. Mm -hmm. There are enough guys who would be like, oh, ee, 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 ee. red flag, you know? In fact, there was an incredible study done where um, they, took a, they took a case study, a business case study, and um, they had the business case study was the same set of facts. It was about a CEO leading their business, right? And they, get, they split the class in half. To half the class, the CEO was a male. And to half the class, the CEO was female. And they asked the class to rate, to kind of get to apply attributes and to rate the performance of the CEO. The CEO was deemed to do exactly the same things. The CEO hired some people, fired some people, managed their business, right? Mm -hmm. But the man was considered to be decisive, 
and the woman was considered to be overbearing, right? It, especially, so not only do we have this negative connotation with ambition, we also have a little bit more of a struggle when it comes to women and ambition, because we are really not meant to have that in secular society. Secular society doesn't really like women to, you know, to, to really put that out. We are meant to lead in very in in very soft ways and that's secular society i think if you look at torah you see women with huge ambition who lead from the forefront and have no problems telling particularly men what they think and what to do and i love that so the the other thing about ambition is that ambition sometimes gets a little bit confused with motivation so if I were to say, my ambition is to be president, right? My ambition is to be president. Now, that could be my ambition is to be president because Air Force One is a really sweet ride, right? <laughs> you know, I like telling people what to do and like that, you know, get it, being able to tweet under the official, you know, like under the official banner of president of the United States of America, rock on, right? Or I can say, you know, my ambition is to be president because I truly feel called to service. I truly feel like I have certain talents and certain knowledge that I, that would allow me to make the world a better place. And I think that one of the best places to do that is in a position of what is extreme leadership, right? So we've got to also make sure that we don't confuse ambition with motivation because you can have a lot of ambition and your motivations are not great, or you can have a lot of ambition with incredible motivations. That's a good distinction. Right. The last thing I kind of want to say about ambition is this, that ambition one one of my one of my favorite kind of like Torah tidbits, right? Ones that people throw out and then don't bother. It's like in my in my mind, there are phrases in Torah that rabbis and rabbis throw out, and they're like so well known that they often don't translate them. And it used to drive me nuts. I'm Balchuva, um, and so my yeshivish is incredibly poor. I do not speak yeshivish very well. Um, and I used to have to sit in classes and like they would throw out these like Torah tidbits and just assume everyone knew. And I was like, no idea what you just said. So my one of my favorite Torah tippets is Bishvili Nivreha Olam, right? For me, the world was created. Right. And I think this links beautifully with ambition. Bishvili Nivreha Olam, for me, the world was created. In a sense, right? That's like, the, it's, it's a cornerstone of ambition. Look at me. This whole world was created for me. What you have to realize with ambition is that's your input. Your input is the whole world can you imagine right your factory having to deal with that quantity of input the right yeah. that quantity and quality of input yes. the world's an incredible place every single day delivered to your door is the world it is beautiful and incredible and flawed and challenging it has it ha in legal speak it has patent defects stuff that we can see and it has latent defects stuff that you only see when you open the box and are like mm, not sure it's meant to look like that right mm -hmm. and 
the world is delivered to your factory every single day. And that's a huge amount of information and stuff. Now, ambition is saying, okay, I'm going to process that into something incredible, right? I'm going to process that into something which is growth, something which is the next step. That for me is ambition, being able to turn around and say, the whole world just turned up at my doorstep and I have the ambition that I am going to process it. Wow. That's, that thing is very key. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's very key because the ambition is it's what guides us in our growth. We use ambition to help us grow as people. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Okay. That's very right. interesting. Okay. And how, like, I just want to ask one more question, just to, just to continue, just to clarify ambition a little bit. So we have the whole world delivered to us every morning. And I totally agree. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's also flawed at the same time. And then we process it. And I love the analogy of that machine. You put in, have an input, you have a process, and then you have an output. So you have the whole world at your door as an input, and then you're processing it, I, I guess, in your body, in your mind, in your soul. All that, all of that, what's going on, and then you have the output and ambition. What is the ambition? I just maybe like a few sentences of like what what does it actually look like? Like an example, maybe an example of an ambition. Hmm. Okay, I want to try and pick something personal. Yes. Um. When would I say that I've had ambition? Um. So, I got my start like. In terms of who I am as a Robertson, mm-hmm. like I'm a Robertson mostly because my husband is a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Generally, you know, there are some Robertsons who are like Robertsons in their own right. Oh, yeah. this is a good, okay, this is a good example. There are some Robertsons who are Robertsons in their own right. Okay, Robertson Heller, you know, Robertson, uh, one of my Robertsons, Robertson Miller Karlinski, who was one of my, um, who was one of my Robertsons in seminary. These are Robertsons in their own right. If their husbands were not rabbis, they would still be Robertsons, right? They, they, they would still occupy, they, they would still occupy that position as spiritual, as, as female spiritual leaders. And oftentimes when I speak with um, oftentimes when I when I speak with my friends who are leaders in the reform community, the reform Jewish community, mm-hmm. I'm they they often say to me, well, aren't you sad that you're not a rabbi? You know, is aren't you, don't you feel oppressed that you know you can't be a rabbi? And I'm like, I have no interest in being a rabbi. Do you understand what they have to deal with? You know, like do you understand the box that they have to fit in? Yeah. You know, this is the rabbi box. That rabbi box comes with a uniform. Oh my gosh, white shirt and black pants every single day. That would suck. Yes. You know, who would want that? Right? The pol- the community politics they have to handle. And I'm really sorry, but I just don't enjoy temple. You know, the thought of having to go not only three times a day, but also have to lead the thing. Thank you. But no, you know what my my expression of leadership is so much more varied. It's a kaleidoscope. I have so much more flexibility, right? I, I, there's so much more color and variance in, in kind of the, the world of Rabbitson. Yes. So I, I still very much feel like I am a Rabbitson and in huge part because my husband is a, a really, really incredible and inspirational rabbi. And I'm so grateful that I ride on his coattails into that, Robertson title but definitely one thing which I uh, one of my ambitions 
-hmm. is definitely to become a Robertson in my own right. That's beautiful. Only not because I need the covers, not because I need someone to say, oh, she's Robertson Hannah Goldstein, right? But that I feel that there are certain ways in which I see the world and there are certain ways in which I teach that I have been told have been really helpful to people. And I would love the opportunity to share that more. So it's an ambition of mine to be able to grow in myself to the point at which I can say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Robertson in my, in my own right. Beautifully illustrated. Thank you. That was very helpful. Thank you. Um, well, the next, the next um, attitude I want to talk about is courage. I want to see how you would define courage as an attitude and where it can be found in the Torah and how we can all use courage to grow as people. Hmm. Courage is, okay. As I said before, my day job now is practicing law, right? Not very courageous right? <laughs> really not very courageous what I do. The thing is that what I do can be very courageous if you're not doing it in your beautiful home office, you know, in Phoenix, Arizona. Practicing law in some places in the world is incredibly courageous. Also, practicing law in some contexts is incredibly courageous. For example, some of the work that's done on projects like the Innocence Project, where they are looking at people, where they are reviewing and working on cases of people who they believe have been wrongly convicted and, and are now sitting on death row, yeah. going against the weight of society and society's decision about your client, oftentimes that's incredibly difficult. Some of the work, and really, I have to say that I, I really take my hats off to um, public defenders. I think that what they do is extremely courageous because they, they are, their job is tasked to give absolutely everyone a fair trial. And sometimes that means that they end up representing people who society has written off. Society already has a judgment about this person. She is a drug addict. He is, he is a thief. You know, they have written them off in society. And it is a public defender's job to get up there and defend and find the virtues in the situation. That is incredibly courageous. So the key with courage is really that you require that, that it's, it's the context in which the act is done, the courageous act is done, because any act can be either incredibly mundane or incredibly courageous, right? And finding those contexts in which you can be courageous are, re are really powerful. And it's a specific context that you need to, it's a specific input. And that is the, the input of something that is rationally fearful, right? What do I mean by that? There's two types of fear that we have. There is irrational fear. I have an irrational fear of spiders. Um, my daughter, she has the same exact fear, yes. I have the irrational fear of spiders. So this weekend, um, over, over Thanksgiving weekend, um, we went to the zoo because in Phoenix, Arizona, that's what Orthodox Jews do on Thanksgiving. We go to the zoo. There's no one else there. And the zoo has like crazy discounts. It's a thing. OK, wow. um, we went to the zoo 
And uh, we went through one of the indoor exhibits. And as we turn a corner, I kid you not, there was this spider three times the size of my head, you know, and I was like, can't, cannot function. I was out of there, right? It's an irrational fear, right? There's like big glass between me and the spider, okay? There is no way that spider is going anywhere. I could squash my nose up on the glass and step, but I couldn't even be in the same room. It's an irrational fear. And I left, I left the building and went a good way down the street. I was like, I'm done, thank you so much. Irrational fear. Then there are rational fears. Rational fears are, this thing could actually happen, right? Uh, as I, like, let's go back to the beginning. Teaching high school girls in Afghanistan, it is a, there is a rational fear that you will die. It's rational. It right. is rational that the Taliban can turn up at your door. And when they turn up at your door, they're not coming to do an educational inspection of, your, of the quality of your teaching right <laughs> True. You know? like it these women have rational fears so yeah. we have irrational and rational fears in judaism there's um one, one of the first ever hebrew songs that i learned was i'm um, what i knew as the bridge song only because it had like movements okay kol holam kulo all the world geshet sameod is a very very narrow bridge yes but the most important thing is what? Lola Faha, that you shouldn't be scared, right? Yes. You, um, many people know that song. Yes. It's a beautiful song. I'll do it in English. All the world's a bridge, a very narrow bridge. But the main thing to remember is that you shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be fearful. And the word that's used is Pachad, fear, right? There's another way in which we, we find, which is commonly translated into English as fear, but it really is a completely different idea, right? I went to, um, I went to IAT, which is Asia Torah's Women's Seminary, and people always ask, people always think it's a, it's a strange name, and Rabbi Weinberg picked it because it is the first letters of her favorite Pasuk. Isha Yeras Hashem Hititalel, she who fears Hashem should be praised. Isha Yuras Hashem, she who fears Hashem, he she should be praised, right? Where's the Pachad? It doesn't say Isha Pachad, like it, it doesn't say the, the woman who, who Pachad Hashem, it says the woman who fears Hashem, and the word used there is Yira. And those are the two different things. Pachad is an irrational fear. Pachad is something that holds you back, that stops you moving forward. It is, it is, um, it's debilitating. Yira, Yira is courage. It is, it is fear that is motivating you forward. It is that we fear Hashem and it motivates, it, it, it's Yira. It's, and it's an understanding of awesomeness of your circumstances and it motivates you to it motivates you forward to make the world a better place to to make sure that the world ends up reflecting its true its true beauty so courage in my mind is this idea of of kind of an expression of an expression of yira i see my i see my world i see all of my inputs and and I'm going to be courageous in the, in the face of rational fears. And I know a lot of people would say, you know, well, therefore courage doesn't apply to me. 
I don't live in Yemen. You know, I, I, I live in New York, you know, New York isn't that scary. Although, by the way, in Phoenix, we totally think that your world is scary. You know, like, we, we look at the crime rates and we're like, oh, you know. Um, it but, can be. Right. You know, but um, we, we generally live in, in, in an incredibly safe world here. And here, courage often looks a little different. So, for example, courage is um, standing up for something when the weight of society is going against you. Courage is um, suddenly standing up when someone has hurt you um, in the past. I mean, we've certainly seen issues of children coming, of adults who as children were incredibly hurt as children by certain individuals and have now had the courage to come forth and speak about that and and put that out there. That's incredibly courageous, particularly when those people are are held up by the community as bastions of virtue, you know? Um, So that that kind of courage, there are are ways in which we, we can see that and experience that. Um, I used to see it all the time on campus. I'm with, so I, I started off in campus care that that's my passion and I love it. And I'm so sad that I don't get to do it. It's like my, my nine to five anymore. But um, in campus care of, I'm, I used to see so many girls who would say to me, you know, I'm dating this guy and I'm just not ready to take it to the next level. I'm worried he's going to leave me. Right. Rational fear or irrational fear? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm, wor- I'm not ready to take the next step with him. I'm worried that he's going to leave me. It's, is that a rational fear or irrational fear? I mean, I could see, I could put myself in that situation. I could, you know, from that perspective, I probably, that probably is a rational fear for them. I could see that. It's a hundred percent irrational fear because do you know what? If they turn down his advances, he's just going to find the next girl who's willing to, right? It's a hundred especially on campus nowadays the idea that if I don't do what a guy says when a guy says that he wants it right well if if I don't if I don't just allow that there are plenty of girls who will yes and the guys are not the guys are not willing to are not willing to stick around most of the time Right? They're just not, it is an entirely rational fair. Especially on campus, especially college age kids. Re- exactly. Re- remind me um quickly which campus you used to do care if you were rabbits on a campus. Which campus was it? So I started, I did a few. I started off at Sa- in Santa Barbara, California. The place was amazing, absolutely amazing, with just incredible girls, like incredible, incredible girls, incredibly courageous thoughtful and inspiring um we then moved to toronto and we worked uh we worked at u of t but we lived downtown university of toronto we lived downtown also amazing just an amazing kind of set of circumstances and they i i say regularly that the quality of the quality of what I teach has got nothing to do with me and everything to do with the people who are listening to it Hashem knows what level they're on and what they need to hear. So if I ever say anything really cool, it's because the person listening to it is extremely cool, 
right? If I ever say anything extremely inspiring, it's because the person sitting in front of me deserves that, right? So uh, this class I wrote, these classes, this set of classes I wrote when I was in Toronto just, and it really was inspired and drawn out by the incredible girls that I worked with there. Um, but then I have to say, I did get a little too cold. Um, I, I, needed to de- I needed to defrost. Um, and so we moved to, we moved to Arizona. So we were at um, Arizona State University, go Devils, um, for, for six years. And, and you were the, the on-campus rabbits in there, like you were doing Kiro. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly, Beautiful. exactly. And again, I, oh, you have no idea how much I miss that. Like, I believe you know, it sounds it's an incredible opportunity. I, you can't, like the sitting down on a daily basis, I, the way that I, the I never bought, I never prepared stuff. I never bought a book. I never prepared stuff. There was only one thing that I, ever brought with me not myself but any one physical thing that I ever brought with me to classes and that was chocolate <laughs> I had my huge box of chocolate and I would sit down and I would say what's your question now what do you what do you want to talk about mm-hmm. because it's their agenda right in in this in a sense it's their raw material right mm-hmm. I I don't I, I'm not inviting them to come run my factory they are not workers in my factory they are business leaders they are entrepreneurs of their life i love it and the and the idea and the great thing is that it's kind of stood me in good stead to be an attorney because i i don't practice criminal law or family law i actually do corporate law so i spend my day um, I spend my day helping entrepreneurs run their businesses, which is the exact analogy that kind of I just gave. And as an attorney, the worst thing is to go in there and decide what you would like to do today. Today, I fancy writing a, an agreement to buy you a company. No one's going to hire an attorney who does that. You know, no one's going to hire an attorney who walks in and says, today, I have decided that I, I would like to write a merger agreement for you today. And we're just going to merge you with your biggest competitor. No, your clients come to you and they say, this is my agenda. This is what I want to achieve. And as an attorney, it's your job to take the tools that you have as an attorney and apply that. So I did the same thing on campus. My toolbox was Jewish ideas. Right. I took their raw materials, their agendas, and we just worked out how to apply the tools I had to their world. I love it. I love it's it. It's so fun and I miss it. <laughs> and that's basically what we're talking about today. We're talking about giving people tools so that they can help mm-hmm. themselves grow spiritually, grow as people. And we've, we've spoken so far about ambition. We've spoken about courage. And now I want to see if we could speak about confidence because confidence is such an important attitude to have. I mean, how would you define confidence and how can we really develop our own confidence? Okay. Confidence is not necessarily a feeling, right? It can be a feeling, Mm -hmm. but I don't really want it to be a feeling because feelings we don't control, right? Feelings is stuff that happens to us. And um, there are plenty of people who will will talk about things like love. And Judaism's all into the idea that love is an action, love is not a feeling. And if someone has not spoken about that yet on one of your podcasts, that's like a classic, you know? That's like a classic easy one. Love is an action, not a feeling, right? (laughs) Confidence confidence is an action it it can also be a feeling of confidence but I think confidence is an action and for me confidence was a 
huge reason why I became from. It was a huge reason why I became religious. Okay. Because I lacked confidence. I, I just, I, I had all of this raw material. I had my life and I just had absolutely no idea whether I was doing the right thing. I don't, I, my daughter really, really likes Frozen. Um, so do I. Um, and in Frozen 2, there was a very, very beautiful song that one of the characters sings called The Next Right Thing, right? She says, essentially the song, the song is, is all I, I'm just going to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the world is hugely overwhelming and it's my job to do the next right thing. And I remember as a teenager really feeling like that. You know, that I was just overwhelmed and never really sure that what I was doing was the next right thing. Is this the next right? Is, is this what I'm meant to be doing? Is this the next right thing? And then when, when I first met Orthodox Jews, I, I grew up in a reformed Jewish, almost like a little bit of a reformed Jewish bubble. I grew up in the middle of Jewish nowhere. I was the only Jewish kid in my school. Um, we belonged to a small reform temple. And so I really grew up in this bubble and I really didn't kind of meet um, Orthodox Jews until I accidentally stumbled into a youth group that was everything. Um, it was it was pluralist. And but I didn't realize that it was kind of more traditional than it was reform. And the reform Judaism in, in England is much smaller than it is here in America. And so that's when I first met like my the the first Orthodox Jews, especially Orthodox Jewish peers, people who were my age. And they seemed to know what the next right thing was. I was like, how how do you know that that's the next right thing? You know, like, right? How do you know that? And so what what I realized is that they they have Torah. They have Torah. And Torah, by the way, is Torah's Chaim right? Torah Chaim. When you translate that out, translate out as instructions for living. Right. That's how you know what the next right thing is. It's instructions for living, right? You follow the instructions, right? You know, as long as you're following the instructions, that's the next right thing. And I was like, got to get me some of those instructions. Nowadays, I, I call it the world's greatest IP. Intellectual property is a very fancy way of saying kind of information that's valuable, right? So for example, um, in, in my world, when I sell a company, it's not just about the machines they have and the staff that they have, their IP, their intellectual property is so valuable. And especially if let's say you're selling a pharmaceutical company that just created the COVID vaccine right? That's intellectual property right there. The ability to create it, the knowledge of how to create it is incredibly valuable IP. We as Jews have the world's most valuable IP. It's a great way to put it. Very good. Yes. So it's confidence for me is knowing the next right thing. What's the next thing that I do to my raw materials? It's like, here's the assembly line. Confidence is what is the next right thing? Being able to identify it and know that I am doing it or about to do it. That's confidence. And with confidence, 
confidence is, is very much grounded in the instructions. It's grounded in the instruction book. And the more, the more of the instruction book you know, you understand and you practice, the more confident you become. But it's not a, it's not an all or nothing game, right? I personally do not believe that you need to do Torah, do everything 100% in order to get the benefits of it. I honestly believe that you could do one tiny, tiny element of Torah and build an incredible connection. Now, you do two tiny bits of Torah, I'm going to build any a, a greater connection, you know, right? But just doing one right thing is fantastic. And so understanding, understand confidence can be built from, I love this one tiny idea and that I practiced for the rest of my life. And I had confidence that in that one tiny area, I did the next right thing. That's beautiful. And also, it's also having the courage to, to execute the confidence. It's having the courage to stand up for yourself, the, the courage to have that confidence and to mm-hmm. proceed with it and to do that next right thing. It's so, so important. And now I guess um, piggybacking off of confidence, self-esteem, which is also very, very important. And so many people have low self-esteem. They suffer from it and it holds them back in many aspects of their life. So I want to see what your take is on self-esteem and how, how, can, we, how can we raise our self-esteem? yeah like let's delete instagram okay (laughs) it's really easy now i have scientific scientific proof provided to me from facebook but everything that i've been saying about you know (laughs) about attention and and all of these things it's like facebook went off and uh did the research and then and then an incredibly courageous woman stood up and blew the whistle i am i amazing right yes so um so really in this area self-esteem let's just start let's break it down a little bit okay mm-hmm. let's just talk about esteem first because self-esteem is like that's like step two okay. right that, that's just having esteem about something right. about yourself let's understand what esteem is first esteem is not attention right attention is the I call it the ITY celebrity right the ITY of things anytime you have a word and it's got a suffix ITY oh by the way I'm a bit of a Latin geek I like grew up in this very very posh English school where we learned Latin and so I'm like fascinated by like how how words come together ITY means in the state of in the state of so celebrity means in the state of being celebrated right? Interesting. Okay. Okay. Celebrities suffer from what I call Sunset Boulevard Syndrome. And if you, there's a musical, some people will get the reference, some people won't, right? Which is this kind of fallen star idea that there was a point at which you were famous and yeah. now you're not. Go away, right? <laughs> you know? There was a point at which you were cool and you're no longer cool, right? Yes. Um, and nowadays, so many people are or at least feel like they're celebrities because their their world is controlled by the ity their world is controlled by how many likes do i have how many clicks do i have how much attention have i garnered and the problem with attention is that 
you don't control other people's attention right it's it's really up to them whether you're going to pay attention you can attempt to attract attention and that is really what we have kind of encouraged we we've really accidentally encouraged particularly our our young girls to do which is attention is is seen as what we need to get therefore how do you get attention and we started off by getting attention in good ways you know let's go save the world let's go feed people let's do acts of charity all of those things you know but the more extreme behavior the more extreme images the more ex the more extreme someone gets the more attention they get and this yes. is particularly true on social media channels yes. whose algorithms are often tripped maybe not for any nefarious purpose i don't think there was any kind of nefarious social media you know entrepreneur who was like haha i want to ruin the mental health of an entire generation of young women right <laughs> and it, i i don't think it happened like that but i think that sometimes these algorithms look to promote more and more extreme so they look to promote more and more extreme ideologies more and more extreme images the thinner the girl is the more likes it gets the more it pops up on a young girl's instagram feed the more she likes it, the more she posts those pictures and it becomes a, a, a feedback loop. That's attention. And you go out and people seek it. That is not esteem. So esteem, the way that I understand esteem is an attitude of processing someone with something with respect and admiration. It's essentially covered. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Essentially having covered. Honor. So exactly. Honor. It is this idea of pros of when your raw materials come in, the way that you process those raw materials is with respect and admiration. Right? Oh, interesting. That if we take a look at the world, if we were just to do this to people right? To have esteem for other people. People are raw materials coming through our factory every single day, right? Every single day. Think about how many people you meet and you have a meaningful interaction with, right? That's your raw materials. Processing them with cardboard is incredibly important, right? Especially in my professional world, it's incredibly important to pro to to look at people who are coming through for example even the criminal justice system and look at them and say to them how can I process you with how can I process this situation with with dignity and respect and sometimes admiration for the fact that well they did something maybe they did something terrible but look at their circumstances you know, look, look at what they came out of right. and, and right. And look at some of the things that they overcame and, and, you know, maybe they, maybe they did do something horrific, but looking at, looking at kind of the backstory and seeing the bigger picture, processing someone with cardboard is incredibly important. So if we take that and we say, okay, so I'm going to process my world with cardboard, be that 
people, be that events that happen, be that just the natural world. I'm going to process it with cardboard. That would be, I'm not going to throw my stuff on the floor. That's not processing. Littering is not processing my world with cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so now let's add the self to it. What is self-esteem? Right, it's valuing yourself. It's, It's processing yourself and treating yourself with respect and honor and dignity. Exactly. Yes. So self-esteem is literally just processing yourself with cardboard, with admiration and respect. That's beautiful. That's what self-esteem is. And I think that this plays in hugely to an area of Jewish practice that I I just think is so empowering for women and that's sneers, right? How interesting, honesty. Mm-hmm. I am like I really think that that the the myth for the commandment of modesty is I hate the word modesty because I just you know it's it's the best and only translation that we have but really I think I I would like to say that sneers is an act of processing yourself with respect and admiration sometimes sneers plays out in your clothing right? In the clothes that you choose to wear, you choose to look at your body and say to your body, I choose to process you with respect and admiration. And I choose to emphasize certain parts of my body over certain others. Today, I am speaking with my face rather than various other attributes that I have, (laughs) right? Because I'm processing my face with, I'm processing my eyes, my brain, your face is a huge communicator of information yes. it's your part face in hebrew panim linked to panemius which means the inside your face is you know there are a million rap songs your, your eyes are the windows to your soul right it comes straight out of jewish philosophy right that the, your face is the communicator of your inside right i am processing myself with kavod in that i am emphasizing the thing that you really need to see that you that is really powerful that I I that I want to emphasize that that I that I want to I want to make important in my world. Right, you so, as a human being, you yourself, exactly, your inside, exactly. your neshama. So so sometimes sneers is in our clothes. Sometimes sneers is in our action. Yes, right. It is the times in which we the times in which we take a step back and we lead quietly from behind. Right. It is not attention seeking, right? It is turning around and and not posting your latest brand new car or you know your your latest huge bat mitzvah or you know like that that's that's being the sneers right? It's, it's not necessarily about what you wear, because do you know what? Someone can be incredibly sneers in, in what they wear and still be dancing on a table. It's right? interesting. It's true. It's very interesting, but yes, it is very true. So it's, so, so it's about processing yourself with respect and admiration. And when you turn around and you say to yourself, I am one of my raw materials, my body, my soul is one of the most important raw materials that's coming into my factory. Self-esteem is saying, I respect and admire. I respect and admire myself. 
Beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, we, we're just, we're um, getting close to the time, but I do mm-hmm. want to just address the last two, the resilience. Resilience is a subject that's very timely, especially during that pandemic. And I just wanted to see uh, if you could talk to us a little bit about what resilience is and also determination. So resilience and determination and is determination different than resilience? If you could just talk about both resilience and determination, mm-hmm. that'd be yeah. great. Thank you. Okay, resilience, surviving the climb. Determination, the power to take the next step up, right? Mm-hmm. So resilience is here is here's Mount Everest. Here is the Mount Everest of challenges, right? And resilience is I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna survive this. And determination is while surviving this, I'm not I, I'm also gonna there's forward motion to that survival, right? Because and and sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes just surviving is is in itself the forward motion of just surviving this moment and sometimes we can not just survive but also be determined to take the next step I think um one of the most insightful pieces of of um research that I've ever read on which kind of connects both these areas is a study on grit by Angela Duckworth Mm -hmm. she has a really fantastic TED talk um, and she studied um, students coming in to West Point, which is the Navy's, I think it's the Navy, yeah, I think it's the Navy. Um, it's it, an elite military college turning out officers for the armed forces um, and an incredibly courageous career choice. Um, and they, they studied their athletic abilities and their IQ, and they looked for people who had, they looked to understand kind of the talent structure of the class, just pure talent. How fast can you run? How strong are you? How smart are you? Right. She found that talent was not a, was not really the key to success. One of her quotes, she says, grit is a better predictor of of achievement than raw talent in every area right that's strong right exactly so i i think that a lot a lot of times we we look at the world and we look at the haves and we look at the have nots and you know we we say to ourselves well i'm i these are the things that i have and these are my achievements you know, these are these are these are the ways in which I can achieve purely based on what I have. I'm smart. I'm rich. I'm funny. I'm right. The reality is that your resilience and determination, those two attributes, are far more powerful. And I think that we see that in the idea, in the idea that Hashem makes every single person unique. Right? There's no one person who's the same person. There's no if. And it, it's kind of a little bit cruel. If there was a, if there was a, a kind of a formula for perfection and achievement, why would Hashem make everyone different? Surely there should just be a little like line of identical <laughs> people who all have the same. They all have great IQ. They are all strong and fit. None of them have any like illnesses or genetic abnormalities. Robust. All of us are immune to COVID right like that that would be what why does everyone have to be different isn't that incredibly cruel and the answer the the answer that that speaks to me and there are many answers but the answer that speaks to me is that is that it 
it absolutely, at the end of the day, does not matter at all what your raw materials are. Your raw materials are not a predictor of your happiness or your achievement in this world or your or your ability to make a difference in this world. As we saw, like harking back to the beginning, there are people who live in this world whose raw materials are nothing short of horrific. Right. And look at the differences that they make. And some of those differences you hear about because CNN decides to film them. And some of those differences you never hear about because not even CNN can get that, right? But it truly doesn't matter what your raw materials are because taking attitudes and that intellectual property the world's most the world's most valuable intellectual property the Torah and using that to process it the the outputs are are really are really completely completely dependent on how you've processed your raw materials And it's so important to know because some people feel, oh, I can't sing. I can't do math. I'm not good, you know, at science, you know, whatever it is that you're not good at. I mean, yeah, yes, of course, there are people who are very talented in singing, dancing and math and science and all that. But what's really, really important is not not so much what you have, not so much the talents that you have, but what you do with whatever it is that you do have. And that's that's really that's the crux of it. And then and that really feeds into resilience. That's, you know, take what you have do the best that you can with it and move forward with it, which is where the determination comes in. You know, it's, it's, that's how, how those two are tied together. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rebbits and Hannah. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us in America's Top Rebbitsons. And we hope that our learning today was for Rafua Shalema, for Elisheva Panina Muna. If yeah. anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anybody would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at atrebbitsons at gmail.com or A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you.